Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Itoro Laini, Data Science Manager at Principality Building Society and AI Ethics Researcher. In this episode, we discuss one of the most important issues in data science, algorithmic bias. Itoro uses a simple yet very powerful example to highlight the impact of biased data, especially when amplified by machine learning algorithms. You will hear her practical advice on how data scientists can spot bias in their data, as well as how to account for it. Hi, Itaro. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women in Data podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I invited you because... I saw one of your posts on LinkedIn at some point and you were talking about, because we don't, we didn't know each other before. And you were talking about the fact that people who run conferences are using the fact that they can't find female um, speakers as an excuse to say, Oh, sorry, uh, the majority is male. And you were putting yourself out there saying that you were saying you were open to talk. And I thought, oh, that's such a brave thing to do. And I definitely wanted to chat with you. So thank you for posting that. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Before we get into today's topic, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Yes. So I'm a data science and analytic manager. So I currently lead a team of um, six and essentially what we do we generate insights for the organization so you know to help them to understand you know what they're going to do and to then look at the impact of their activity and measure those so essentially the work we do it ranges through from basic mi to a lot of like dashboarding visualizations experimentation sort of like ab testing through to like modeling and you know ml on the, you know, at the extreme. So yeah, so we do a wide range of things. It's really exciting. I'm also doing a part-time PhD at King's and that is in AI, in the ethics of AI. And yeah, I have two two young children as well. So yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so I didn't know about the children, but I knew about the work and the part-time PhD and already I was finding that to be impressive but being able to do all of these and having to take care of children at the same time I am impressed (laughs) well yeah it is a lot going on but (laughs) yeah (laughs) I bet it is so you mentioned that you're doing a part-time PhD and your PhD is in AI ethics so a bit different from what you're doing on a daily basis but still quite related to that could you help us understand why you chose to do a PhD in AI ethics it's stuff I've always been interested in you know I've always been interested in 
hearing and learning about why um, ML algorithms can give different people different kind of treatment and why people might think it is unfair. And it's just stuff I was interested in. And over some time, you know, it's become more and more um, topical, you know, and it's more uh, widely known. But what's interesting is I was already doing a... um, I was already doing a PhD in a completely different um, subject area. Okay. But a year into it, so this is one year, but actually because I'm doing it part-time, it's essentially six months full-time equivalent. Um, My supervisor had to leave. You know, he'd got a um, new um, job elsewhere, moved elsewhere. And at that point, I thought, okay, there's a lot of options here. It wasn't really easy to go with him, but then I thought I could start all over again and work on another area that I'm I'm interested in. You know, and I thought, well, this is an area I've always been interested in. I'm always looking into it, so maybe I should pick that up and, and kind of run with it as a research research area. And yeah, I find it very interesting, and there is a lot of overlap you know, with things that we do day in, day out. And yeah, you're right. There is a link in there with work as well. Yeah. I love the fact that it's someone leaving. That was probably a stressful moment for you to try to figure out what you wanted to do and what you should do next. But that also gives you an opportunity to dig deeper into an area of interest. That's, um, that's really interesting and very powerful as well. So we're going to talk about algorithmic bias. Yep. I think this is the this is the main part of your PhD, isn't it? The yeah. algorithm bias. So could you help us understand what exactly that is? So essentially it's what I've kind of touched on a little bit, and I'll give you a trivial kind of example to help bring it to life a little bit. But what what I'm saying is it's when the model or the algorithm or this tool treats different people differently based on these these protected these protected characteristics so for example let's say and this is a very trivial example that i've just kind of made up but let's say you had a model that was trying to predict say how expensive a um, house is and then the model kind of starts to notice that okay the number of rooms in the house can kind of tell me how expensive a house is so if it has five and um, um, five rooms in the house it will probably cost more than a three-bedroom house it will probably mm-hmm. cost more than a one-bedroom house so yeah when the house arrives the model looks at the number of rooms right it gives an answer right and then let's say this odd house kind of turns up it's a huge house massive house but somebody's knocked through um, knocked through all the um, walls internally so the house just has um, one room one big internal room the model then looks at that house and goes, oh, it's a one-bedroom house. So it's not an expensive house. It's a cheap house. And then that house is going hang on. No, I'm, I'm a big house. I am an expensive house. <laughs> this is the kind of thing where if it starts to treat, if it misclassifies or gives you the wrong outcome, but the thing it's judging you on is things like gender, religion, race, these things that are protected, then that is where there is an issue. So that is essentially, in a nutshell, what this, um, what, what algorithmic bias is. 
I love your I love your example. I was giggling along thinking I know where she's going. And then actually your example was different than what I thought. So I thought you were going to say there is this five bedroom house, but it's all rotten. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. And that's another angle as well. You know, there could be things that make the model think it's something else. And then it goes, okay, I think it's this. And as long as the reason is not because of, you know, race, gender, and all these things, that's when, yeah. Yeah, and I I totally see that. And thank you so much for sharing such a visual example. And also for after seeing um, what the protected characteristics were. I do hear the importance of, you know, thinking about, what your algorithm is doing, and then what's the the intended use? Yeah, absolutely. It's about understanding what is this al- what is this algorithm doing? What is it intended to do? And are there any unintended unintended outcomes? You know, and it's about recognizing that and what can we do to prevent that? So it's the unintended outcomes, and these outcomes are things that could be based on protected protected characteristics so it's making sure that we understand where algorithms can treat people differently and put things in place to ensure that nobody is being um, harmed by the application of these um, tools but very often you know especially for entry-level people who get really excited about building algorithm do you feel like there is a higher risk on their end to I guess, not think about the impact of the work that they're doing. So what impact that has on the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when you get into this field, and I think it's the way a lot of the MS, um, MSCs and a lot of the, um, the, and a lot of the boot camps out there are designed, you know, it's really about the technical aspects. How can you build it? How can you make the accuracy great? How can you do this? But, you know, the work that we do has real life, real life consequences. And I think this kind of ethics conversations need to be brought in more into the, um, these MSCs and all these different, um, programs out there. There is that gap in expectation when people come into the, um, this line of work quite early on because you think it's all about building the models but (laughs) yeah there isn't that recognition of these things can affect people yeah I could not agree more and I am really looking forward to a day where all the courses will start with the why and what we are doing I will be really pleased with that Uh, but you also talk about sometimes the bias being amplified by the algorithm how does that happen? Yeah, so again, and this varies a lot with different algorithms, data. There's such a huge mix in there. But essentially, let's go back to this one bed um, example that I gave earlier. What you can find is if the algorithm has never seen this odd, this odd one bedroom house, right? It doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know what to do. do. It doesn't know what to do with it. But in some cases, it's not that that example doesn't exist at all. It, it does exist, but there are not many of it, right? But, and, but if there are not enough of it, the algorithm still doesn't see them because they're so 
few examples of them overall. So the algorithm can't really learn about them. So in this case, what it does, because it doesn't learn about them and doesn't know them, it just still thinks they're just your average one-room um, one house. So it still misclassify them. So in this case, you can even have where when it comes in, you've got these examples, but when the model works on it, it kind of ignores all of all of these examples. And in fact, it gives a worse prediction for this um, group than they should have. So this is where some algorithms can kind of exas can exacerbate things because it generalizes so much that it doesn't pick up these few examples that are a bit different yeah and i totally get that so obviously <laughs> in this example it's very easy to spot the bias you just have well easy ish because we have one example but i guess when your algorithm is running on so many different um rows and people houses or <laughs> whatever you're yeah. predicting um, it gets harder so how do you actually spot this bias how do you know that your algorithm has a bias it's not an easy thing to do. One thing I always say is the first thing is, can we analyze the results of our of our of the algorithm by the different groups? You know, so what we tend to do is we'll build an algorithm, <laughs> a model, and then we look at the um, accuracy overall. And we say, right, the accuracy is great. That's all well and good. But what happens if we start to break down this accuracy and say, right, I want to look at the accuracy of one group versus the accuracy of another group. So again, these groups will be based on like protected, pro protected characteristics if you have access to it, because that's an, another issue. When you then look at your accuracy by these groups, are you seeing the same accuracy? Because you might not mm. be, and if you, you and if you're not seeing that, then that gives you an indication that you know there's something that is not right. Again, with the same thing of looking at it by groups, you can even look at it when it comes in already. So before you've actually built anything modeling, let's just analyze what we've got coming in. Because if your data comes in and there's a huge, and there's a huge, uh, there's a huge disparity within groups, you know, empty garbage in, garbage out. What you're going to get on the outside is also going to be reflective of what you had. So that might give you some idea. I'm I'm actually hoping people would do some descriptive <laughs> analytics before jumping exactly. into modeling, but you exactly. never know. <laughs> you know, these things are not, they are quite easy to um, do, you know, but sometimes we miss them or we don't do it. So yeah, absolutely. And but this, there are also some, great libraries out there you know like i use aif 3m60 and it's great because so that's from what language <laughs> in python i actually think it exists in r as well but i haven't used it in r but yeah so it is available and they've got all these tools in there to help you to understand you know what's going on in your data I was thinking, so I was laughing a bit being like, oh, I hope people do run some descriptive statistics. But now that I think about it, when I was studying modeling, but that, that was more than 10 years ago, so things might have changed right now. But we were having such a perfectly well uh, designed data set that we were never doing data exploration before. 
Um, so yeah, maybe, well, I hope things have changed now. I guess with what you explained, so you said you could either take the algorithm output and then look at if the algorithm is performing differently based on different mm. protected characteristics or do the analysis beforehand. So do some kind of exploratory analysis, look at how different groups differ from each other. But I guess that means that before you start doing all of this, you have to think about where the bias could be in your data. Absolutely. No? You need to understand the data that you have coming in. So let me give you an example, another example to kind of bring this to life. And I, I was reading something a while back and the authors, they were trying to model like um, when to take an aircraft engine to kind of do some some maintenance on it, you know. And the data and what they were saying essentially is the data they were using were for airplanes that were essentially operating in a, in a, not in North America. And the point they're making is you can't use that same information data to make some inference about airplanes that are operating in maybe like Africa or somewhere else, Middle East, because it's a completely different environment, you know, from like a temperature and all whatnot, you know. So again, it's going back to this. You have to understand the data that you have when it comes into you. What was it used for? What was the reason for it? Is it designed to be used for everybody or is it just designed to um, serve one um, group? So, yeah, so it's critical to understand where that information kind of comes from data. And at some point you might have to go back and say, actually, it's not right for what I'm trying to do because maybe I'm trying to look at um, the airplanes in somewhere else, Africa, but this is only for like North, not for North America. So, you know, sometimes we might have to go back and say the data is not appropriate for what we want to do. So yeah, that analysis is absolutely critical. Yeah. And that reminds me of an, a good example I have as well um, from that came from Kenji who is the man behind uh, Ken's yeah. Nearest Neighbors podcast. And basically, uh, a while back, I was doing this talk around how to effectively integrate data science into an organization. So the longest time <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, I would share stories, so real-life stories of when things didn't work out. And to collect some stories, I asked Harpreet from the Artists of Data Science podcast if he could help out with stories. And he asked that in his happy hours. And Ken was there and he shared a story about when he was an intern. So way back in the days, he was an intern and he had to build the model that was making some decisions. And the data he had basically initially was decision made out of someone's opinion. So someone would say, I believe we should do that. <laughs> and this is how the data was recorded. So his whole data was biased based on this person's opinion. Um, so yeah, definitely understanding where your data comes from. I'm absolutely cringing just listening to that example. <laughs> that is... But you, you know, the thing is, if you're just out of university or you've never worked in data science or any kind of yeah. business settings before, you wouldn't think of 
the data might be biased. You know, it's only recently that we started talking about bias into data. Um, we used to think that data was the truth. Yeah. Why? It's not. It's the truth of the sample you have Absolutely. ish, and then we go and do averages on it. <laughs> you shared some really great tips to spot your bias yeah. in your algorithm, but do you have any actionable advice that people could take and apply straight away in their job to reduce bias? Yeah. So I would say, for me, I always say, and this is and something that I work. Um, work by aim for explainability so we don't need to go straight into the most complex model that we don't understand what it's doing and you know nobody can ex interpret it you know aim for explainability but it's fun <laughs> <laughs> exactly i know it's 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 cool to you know aim directly for the most complex one but you know i always say aim for that for the Managers and like execs out there, what I would say to you is hire ethically minded data analysts, scientists. It's not just about this accuracy thing, building models. It's about someone who is really trying to think of what they're doing and the impact of those um, things. So I, I would say those are two quick things. One other thing, again, it goes back to look at the data sets that you have. Are there any things? Because it's not every time we have direct access to these um to to these protected characteristics but are there any things that could act as a proxy for these because i know i haven't seen any work here but like in america using like your name and address they can, you know we can use that to um estimate your your ethnicity so there's stuff like that, that, you know, you might not have access directly to the thing that is an issue, but, you know, just having a think about with what you've got, is there anything there that, ooh, that could be a bit problematic? So those are the three tips I could say. You can implement those right there, right now, including like analyzing your outcomes by different groups. Yeah, definitely. And I think, so we spoke a bit about, well, a lot about the protected characteristics. And I was thinking, so you know how collecting data is so difficult already. Mm. And then we have all these layers of data privacy and all these things. So you mentioned not having access to these protected data. So you can't really see where your data might be biased because of that. Do you feel like regulations around data privacy are making things worse or i mean i'm all for data privacy but i'm just trying to have a whole view of the problem it's a great question and actually there is a a a paper i read a few weeks ago which kind of looks at this you know the whole the two sides of the argument where yes you're right we still need to ensure we can keep things safe keep things locked down not everybody needs to access everything but there's on the other hand in the sense that you can't know if you're impacting groups differently you know if you don't have access Mm -hmm. and there is a fine line there that we have to at some point reconcile you know i know initially when gdpr came out you know a lot of the organizations you know no no 
nobody wanted access to anything. No, people just said, we're not going to ask for anything. We, yeah. we don't want to hold anything and all of that. But I think the ICO has come back and said, you know, if you're doing this kind of work, yes, you should have some access to um, some things. But I think from an organization's point of view, especially those who are very risk averse, it's very hard to get for them to get on board, to get that, to start to ask for that information but also it is expensive as well because if you wanted to go and start to ask for all this like things gender etc you need to request it campaign to kind of get people to give it to you you need to do all the like it updates to be able to hold this this info but even from an individual's kind of point of view our trust is low, you know. You, if um, Amazon said to you, "Tell me your gender and um, eth- and ethnicity and all these things," you'll be like, "Um, thanks, but no thanks, Amazon." You know, so <laughs> people don't even want to. That's share. why they don't ask exactly. it. That's why they don't ask it. I'm pretty sure they know we're going to lie, and I'm pretty sure that they know they can infer it based on what we're exactly. buying, anyway. <laughs> so yeah it's very interesting but yeah we don't have the answers yet of how we marry the two aspects of data um, privacy and um, ethics one day we will hopefully to close the episode um i'm not sure if you chose a question actually uh, so I had two questions. I had, what do you read, listen to, or watch that helps you in your career and personal development? And the other one is, what are you learning at the moment or are interested in learning? Okay, yeah, I can take both. So what I'm really learning now, what I'm where the area I'm working on is on leadership. So I've been reading a few leadership books. Um, there's a great book called Radical Candor which yeah. is about giving, how to give somebody feed, how to give somebody feedback in the sense that we should have those conversations, those open and honest conversations, but we have to do it right so that we, we're not essentially what she calls um, obnoxious, aggressive. You know, we need to do it in the right way. And then I also read another book called Five Dysfunctions of a team which just helps you see the different perspectives and personalities you can see in the team and the journey to kind of get the team to kind of gel and work as one. So I think, yeah, quite two good books. So yeah, it's mostly leadership stuff I'm trying to work on and improve. I think the other thing you asked was what am I learning or what do I want to learn? So I was trying to think more of a technical thing as well. Okay, so do you want to share a technical thing? Yeah, so right now for my um, PhD, I'm working on, I'm learning and trying to implement a, a um, GAN network. So GAN is a generative adversarial network and is basically the algorithm behind all the deep, um, the algorithm behind deep fakes. So when you see like images that are not um, that are not real, they are as a result of using a, um, a a GAN network. So I'm trying to build one of those. I've done a basic one which kind of works, but I need to change the um, architecture and implement something to do what I'm trying to get to. But that's proving a bit challenging. So that's my. Um, yeah, that's what I'm learning right now. Sounds like you're doing some very interesting things. 
Well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was a pleasure to chat with you today. Absolutely. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.